You may think I'm a pain in the neck, but at least I'm not a pain in your back. <laughs> they say you can either be happy or be right, but I'm great at multitasking. <laughs> you guys, it's Andy's girls. What's that expression that it's like you can't have three things? I don't even know if it's an expression or whatever. You can't have these three things all at the same time. It's like happiness and love, happiness and work, and no problems with your housing. Have you heard yeah. that before? I feel like that's a thing. I haven't heard it, but I think it's correct. Okay. Yeah, right? I don't think I've <laughs> yeah. ever had all three. Because I think that one influences the other. Yeah, definitely. Um, Listen, I'm so excited. You guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode. I truly have no idea. Please leave me alone. 430 something plus, uh, which is incredible considering I am spiritually mid-20s plus. And I'm so excited to have a return guest to the Clawfus over Zoom Kiki, the People's People's Couch. You know her as a producer and podcaster whose credits include co-hosting the incredible podcast, Howie Mandel Does Stuff, with her dad, whose name happens to be in the title. He is, in fact, Howie Mandel doing stuff. Welcome back to Andy's Girls, Jacqueline Schultz. Jackie, how are we? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me back. Whenever you contact me, I'm always so excited. I'm like, yes, I get to talk to fellow Bravo people about stuff I love. You know why? Because my thing is, too, with podcasts at this point, and I'm sure it's a different situation with your pod, but there comes a time where like, I used to book guests literally months in advance where it would be like someone contacts me to come on and I'm like, yep, I have a date two and a half months from now. And at at some point, and I don't know if it's like work ethic or what, I just have felt the need to book literally like the day before, depending on the vibe of the environment, how I'm feeling and everything else. And I really do feel like I have a Shannon Bador style core four, except it's more than four, but people who I love to chat with, where I just have such trust and faith that I know the conversation is going to be interesting, who put up with me and my scheduling. So I essentially reached out to you like an hour and a half ago and was like, can we talk about Orange County? It's really good. And you very generously said yes. So thank you so much. That's totally me too. I'm a last minute kind of girl, especially since there's so much always going on with kids and everything. I feel like yes. I can never plan in advance. Whenever I try to plan in advance, something comes up with the kids. So if you catch me last minute and I'm able to do it, I am there. So how does housewives viewing factor into your potential self-care obsession? What do you want to call it when you're juggling so many different things? I mean, you have a demanding work life. You've got these kiddos. You have a passion for Bravo. Do you have sort of your schedule or mode? Or is it one of those things where you just kind of like fill the prescription as needed? Well, I am very fortunate that my husband also has an like obsession with Bravo <laughs> and Housewives and Vanderpump and everything. So that's kind of like our bonding time. I think we were together in high school and we like our first our first bonding moment was bonding over Jersey Shore. Like we love reality television. 
So we've kind of moved into the Bravo sphere together and we watch like every single reality show together. So that's kind of the way we unwind. When we put the kids to bed, we will sit down and see which which franchise is on, which episode is the newest. And if we can binge watch, we will, but we haven't really been able to because we're all caught up. Mm. But yeah, that's what we do. After the kids go to sleep, that's our time. <laughs> so have you been with your husband like, all the way through high school to now did we take a little time off to like explore no I should clarify um we were best friends in high school best friends and I always had another boyfriend and then after like a six and a half year relationship he swooped in and he was my rebound guy and then I ended up marrying my rebound Oh my God, that's incredible. That's because <laughs> yeah. like, that's the thing also like, you know, you, everybody has a little sitch where there's like somebody that you're talking to or whatever, but it's like, if you haven't, if they, if there hasn't been enough space between whatever they're telling you was their last relationship on Hinge, it feels like you kind of want to like wait a little bit. Cause it's like, I don't want to yeah. be the rebound unless I want to be the rebound person in which God bless, <laughs> like phenomenal. But that's so <laughs> incredible that like rebounds can just be, I mean, forever. I mean, that can be the forever kind of game. Yeah. No, it's been amazing. I mean, I literally married my best friend. Like, we've been best friends since high school. So it's been awesome. And we watch Real Housewives together. (laughs) I mean, I talked about this with my mom. My mom comes up. We're from Rhode Island. She comes up to New York fairly often. And during one of her trips, we were talking about the fact that she married my dad straight out of college, Vietnam sort of inspired timing before he was drafted. But they've been married for 7,000 years at this point. They got married when they were 21 and 22. And I cannot imagine that with any fiber of my being. And my mom said, essentially, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't planning on (laughs) being with this person. But I guess after we graduated or whatever, he wrote me a letter. And the writing to her, the romance of that, the intelligence of that really kind of inspired her to make the choice to, um, I guess, agree to get married, which I'm thinking of in terms of all things housewives, because there was that conversation this week between Shannon, or rather Shannon talking about her oldest daughter, who's maybe intending possibly to marry her college sweetheart, which to me was like, oh my God, they're so young. And then literally just now in this moment, I just thought to myself, oh, you know what? My parents did that. (laughs) Like different time, but my parents did that 100%. That is the thing that happened. My happens. sister is married to the guy she was dating in high school, and my parents have been together since like high school. So this is kind of just a thing, I guess, in my family. It could happen. I mean, yes, when you're younger, you grow so much throughout the years. So right. like there is a little bit of hesitancy to go for the person that you think you want to be with for the rest of your life when you're that young because you as a person and that person grow and change so much that – you may grow apart and I understand that fear, but it can work. Like it, It's worked in my family. It, it can work. And I also yeah. think sometimes that it can work and can also turn to a new chapter. Like the expectation, if you are getting married that young, maybe the expectation is as with many people in marriages, this is forever a hundred percent, but also if things change, When you think about it, if a person has been married, let's say for 20 years, but they get married at 22, that's a long time to have a relationship. 
and to remain very young at the end of it. I mean, to end a marriage potentially at 42, you've still had a two decade long relationship. It's a lot of life to live, a lot of lessons potentially to learn, regardless of whether or not, you know, the relationship completes its cycle, let's say, by ending in the um, disillusion of the relationship versus if you really say, I do until the very end. It's it's a lot, I would think, to kind of grow through together in that way. It is a lot. And it's not all great all the time. You know, there's moments or even years where it's like a really hard, tough patch. But I think that if it's meant to be and you work on it and you put in the work, it can work. So I was listening. Did you listen to the Bethany Jill podcast extravaganza? The very special episode. I want to. I just saw a clip. I think it was on Bethany's social. Um, social, yeah, about their talk and everything. But I didn't see the whole thing, the whole interview. Did you listen to the whole interview? Yeah, I've listened to the main <laughs> interview twice, like a psychopath. And I've listened to, so they came out with this main interview, which was the reunion of reunions. We haven't sat down in 10 years and or over 10 years. And here we go. Meanwhile, it was sort of corrected during the conversation. Bethany was thinking, I haven't seen you since then. Obviously, they did at at slash after Bobby's funeral and at the Shiva, which becomes a huge point of of discussion and contention. And then they also recorded a separate episode talking about the premiere of the New York reboot. And then I think maybe there's a third that's coming out because Bethany said, like, we have a different episode on all of my platforms. And she has like three different titles for shows on her feed. And I have two now. So like, God bless. But they all have to do like B or wives in the name. I get confused, which is not a great indicator. Um, but I talk about and expand on sort of interesting points and things that I was genuinely surprised by on the Andy Scrolls Patreon. And I actually genuinely would recommend listening to both. I thought that they were really, really interesting and has evolved into additional conversation online. But the reason I'm bringing this up is there is, of course, a conversation and some aside about the impact of reality TV on relationships and the idea that in signing on for reality TV, some people seemingly, judging only by the end result, are maybe going to be signing off on their marriages or partnerships or whatever as a result. How true do you think that? statement is is it possible to survive or strengthen one a person's romantic relationship partnership or whatever it is when you sign up for this very specific form of reality tv i mean i want to say yeah of course look at kyle and mauricio (laughs) (laughs) up until like a couple weeks ago I, cause I guess um, we could say Lisa and Ken, but it's like, I don't think Lisa and I totally, they have the a phenomenal relationship from what we've seen, but they don't come to mind when I think of, here's a shining example of what can I, I think Kyle and Mo, I really do. They're the name that comes to mind. They are also a big part of the show together as a family. Ken yes. is not really in the show as right. much. Like he makes appearances. So maybe that's why their relationship has withstood the test of time Mm. in this like reality atmosphere I think it's probably really hard like I said marriage in itself 
is super hard and there's like good years and bad years and stresses and life is stressful. So having to navigate that with a partner, I cannot imagine being on reality TV and having your life like under a microscope 24-7, not even just on TV, but in the public's eye when you're off of TV and all that and the strain that that would put on a relationship in and of itself. Like you have to be a special kind of couple, I think, Mm -hmm. to be able to withstand that pressure. That's an immense amount of pressure. And I also think back to like, wasn't it Camille where Kelsey Grammer like pushed her to be on the show? I think because he knew like. Because he was having an affair with a right. flight attendant. Yeah. And so I wonder how many times that happens where they're like pushing someone to be on the show knowing like they're on their way out and you're going to have your own thing now. Like, it might be a calculated move in some instances, like that move. I don't know. But I just think overall, it has to be extremely, extremely difficult to stay in a relationship while on reality television. 100%. And I also honestly think, you know, the couple that came to mind while I was listening to you and hearing so many great points was Jules and Michael, because you're on reality TV. There's an air on New York. You're on reality TV. Mm -hmm. There's an air of performance. Jules Weinstein comes on New York, obviously a complicated example, honestly, because she was going through a lot while filming, um, which she's talked about in the limited amount of press that she's done in the years since. Um, But you're going on reality TV. There's an expectation of performance, whether that's about the affluence of your life, the money and access you have available, or maybe that it's like, I'm really happy all the time and I'm funny and I'm going to put on a little bit of a show for reasons that may or may not become clear. And then you're also performing a little bit of like the happily married couple. It's like in rewatching the season that Jules was on, there are so many points where Michael said Michael's late. Michael comes home from work. And I think he worked in the building that they also lived in and immediately needs, needs to take a shower. Michael seems disconnected when I hope his name is Michael. I actually genuinely forget when they're, you know, like having conversation. He doesn't seem like he's actively listening shall we say and maybe some of that is because that's just who he is and he's uncomfortable around cameras but also a part of it is because he was carrying on some long-term affair seemingly allegedly during filming it's like as the housewife as Jules you're mid-performance you're trying to see that everything's okay and maybe you're doing that to yourself as well as the camera crew how do you get around that like the reckoning at the tail end when maybe you're having a reunion or whatever else and it's like yeah I need to defend my behavior on camera but also how do I defend this man it seems like the housewives that have the relationships that um seem to be going the best are the ones that are like honest even on camera and addressing issues on camera and not the ones necessarily putting up a front or a facade when things are going wrong behind the scenes. Like I remember even Shane and Emily and Emily having like an issue with Shane and Shane was killed on social media and in the viewer's perspective. And they addressed it all on camera. And now I think I do root for them and he's awesome and I love him. And it seems like he's made a shift. I think people enjoy seeing that honest relationship. And the more you defend something that is not honest and not real, it seems like that's when something starts to de- uh, deteriorate. 
100%. And that's such a great example. And I listened to their interview on Jeff Lewis Live, which was honestly kind of iconic because Shane mm-hmm. is so fucking dry that it's like, yeah. it doesn't always come across well, LOL, with the edit. But it, it raises the question of like pressure that gets put on a relationship because, listen, it's like, it's surviving almost a trauma to be a famous person on social media alone, let alone on the actual TV because of the, the barrage of hate and criticism and rage that's often sent and directed at these women because of either their behavior on TV or how we think of them. Like, the use of rage as a vessel to hurt someone because either you feel hurt or you don't agree with them or whatever else is a part, unfortunately, of the Bravo universe at this point. And for Shane, it's like he got a ton of fucking hate when he joined the show. So how do you process that as a couple? Because they signed on as a as a family, but Emily is the actual housewife. Shane is the partner here. So it's like he's not a, a face on social media in any way. But like, what does that do to your partnership when you look at this person and you're like, listen, I know it's you're not the one sending me this. But because we signed up for this show, this is why I'm kind of in the middle of the mess, regardless of taking accountability for his actual behavior, which inspired so much backlash. Yeah, I don't even know the answer to that. I mean, maybe they're doing so well because he's not a face on social media. It seems like some of the other couples, like, they're both on social media. Maybe he just doesn't see it. And it seems like she, it seems like, again, I don't know, but she's really good at communication and working on stuff. And it seems like he's open to working on stuff well. So maybe that, in that instance, that's why it goes so well. But I'd imagine a lot of the other house husbands Mm. like don't are not as receptive or it just breaks them yeah and it's this kind of vicious circle of like you need to show us your whole world and I don't want to feel like you're hiding a partner but when you reveal the partner I might not like what he's doing and I'm gonna try to shapeshift your world like it's hard to kind of like get out of that because a part of the deal here for for the vast majority of housewives is showing their family life, which may or may not include a partner and may or may not include kids. And it's like, as a result of that, it's just kind of girding your loins to just kind of prepare for the onslaught. But also Bravo might not write you the casting permission slip unless you do that. Well, we're seeing that right now too with Jen, right? On Orange County. I'm sure she did not sign up thinking this would be the whole storyline. Well, at least the first two episodes. I don't know what's going to happen, but like she is the topic of conversation and her relationship is the topic of conversation and her boyfriend is being dragged through the mud too, whether rightfully so or not. I'm sure this is not what she thought she was signing up for. Okay, that's a great example. And (laughs) I have to tell you, I told you yesterday, I am essentially high from watching Orange County. I can't get enough of it. It is, I know everybody's talking about the New York reboot and God bless, you know, enjoyable ride. We'll see what happens. But what is actually feeding me right now, like genuinely where I get kind of like, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about this is Orange motherfucking County, which I would not have expected would happen to this extent, except, you know, I was hopeful because of Tamara, but I am 
very happy with how the episodes are going from a storyline perspective. So when it comes to Jen and Ryan, the Jen and Ryan stuff is interesting because it's like between Jen and Ryan, right? And the other Mm -hmm. cast members talking about Jen and Ryan, but also Jen and Tamara of what does friendship mean and where are the lines here when you're talking about my relationship in front of a camera crew? But first, let's just start with Ryan. So what are your thoughts on this Jen and Ryan dynamic? Her deep diving into, you know, seemingly a significant relationship on the heels of her divorce. And also, is Ryan the guy? So I listen. First of all, I want to say if it was real life and just a friend, I think it's bullshit and I wouldn't have any opinion because let her do her thing and live her life and learn her own lessons. Now that she's on a show and I am a viewer and it's entertainment. But I did listen to Gina on Nick Viles. Viel. Oh, my God. No, I've done it. I, he was on the pod and literally I got two different pronunciation guides. So I used both of them. I was like, okay. it's technically Viall because I had this conversation with his Viol. publicist. But the podcast, I think, is pronounced Viall Viol Viol Files. So it yeah. does, I use both. Viol. He did not <laughs> okay. res- note it, I don't think. But both, I think, are fine. I think he gets okay. it. Okay. Nick. Well, I watched her on that podcast and their take on Jen, I thought, was very accurate that she was probably in a loveless or boring marriage and she needed validation and she needed attention and this guy gave it to her he from what i hear on the show he doesn't seem like a good guy he seems like a problematic fuckboy and he's giving her the attention that she wants and that she needs I don't know if he's going to change. I know he's even admitted that his um, reputation is not great. He's already older. I don't know if he's going to change. I'd say probably not at this point. I hope he does. But I believe that Tamara's probably right and she's headed for heartbreak, especially since now they're on a reality show, like we're saying, and in the public eye and relationships are just harder in general. So. I don't, that's what I would assume. If I had a little like, what's it called? Crystal ball. ball. I would, yeah. Then I would assume it probably won't last. He might cheat on her, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope they end up happily together. (laughs) And the other part of that is, is she going to tell us at this point if she's feeling a certain way? Because if I was Jen, I would be feeling so fucking defensive of trying to defend this man because Unfortunately, when it comes to housewives and looking for conflict, which most members of every cast does, the telltale signs of whether or not a relationship is in trouble or toxic or whatever is going on with that specific couple becomes representative of the housewife themselves. It becomes the thing that housewives will fight over, which is deeply unfair, but also sometimes a part of a sometimes like simplistic formula of like, this is the thing that we're going to fight over because I know that it has stakes for you in your relationship or marriage or partnership, however you want to define it, which is entirely up to you. I know it's going to piss you off, but also if I feel like I'm not getting the answer I want to hear as a friend, I'm now mad at you for 
either not being truthful to all of us about private matters concerning your dynamic or just because this is the thing that I'm going to use. It's like, how do you navigate that? Because the stakes on the show mean you might be defined by this, by editors, by media outlets, by Andy at the reunion, by other members of the cast. And also, how do you define yourself when the cameras aren't here? It seems like she's just all in on her relationship and going to stick up and stand by her man regardless of what he does wrong and regardless of what any regardless of the information that is coming to her. I do think it's a little messed up what Tamara is doing. Like it's so messed up. I would be so mad if I were Jen, but Tamara is bringing it. Like she is back on the show and she is bringing it and she is doing her thing and she is making it a great season, but I would be so mad at her if that was my friend. And it doesn't seem like she's really standing up to her. I hope that she kind of has the balls to yell at her a little bit, to yell at Tamara. Well, what I'm loving is that like we're seeing a couple different people try to navigate the Tamara equation. Like Heather's trying to now defend herself against Gina and Emily for siding with Tamara when I think they're all sort of acknowledging the fact that if cameras weren't there, I don't know that Heather would have made that choice. So like that's one problematic area that just problematic in terms of their friendship with each other. But like the Jen thing is actually a terrible position to be in because you're trying to defend your relationship against this person while also attempting to define your friendship to the rest of the cast and to cameras as one based in loyalty. And like, can a person ever experience consistent loyalty in a friendship with Tamara? No, (laughs) no, (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think Tamara, from what I've seen, like is putting herself first before anyone else. So I don't think, I think Tamara is loyal to herself. Maybe she's loyal to her relationship and her family too. But I think in terms of the show and in terms of business opportunities, she is loyal to herself. So if that means that she's going to throw you under the bus or bring up something that you don't want to be brought up, she will do it because it's great for the show. And that's why she's gone so far. And that's why she's so popular. And that's why she gets asked to come back again for this season. Like she is amazing television and I love watching her and I'm glad she's back. But as a friend, I don't think the loyalty is there with her. So I don't think that necessarily you should be loyal to a fault for her. You should be there for her. So if you're Jen and you've been Mm -hmm. brought onto this show under the auspices, appearance, whatever you wanted to call it, that this is a good pal of yours. And also it's your first time on the show and you know how valuable Tamara is. And also, as other members of the cast have discussed in the most recent episode, Emily, Gina, sort of Heather, Tamara's not a person you want to piss off because... She's like a bloodhound. She'll like sniff out your sensitivities and she will find that thing. She will find the piece. And if she's pissed at you, she's going to drag you to hell for like as long and as often as she possibly can. Because sure, she's valuable. She's um, 
loyal to herself, but she's also loyal to the show. She knows the thing that will keep people talking. So if you're Jen and like your brand right now, your storyline, whatever you want to call it, is your family life, which includes Ryan, this great guy, and also your good friend who would never try to drag or fuck you like over, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. How do you get out of that so early on? Like, I I can't imagine how fucking she's struggling she is struggling but I also fucking love her like I don't love her as in top five but I love her as in like I think she's seamless casting I think they actually did it right after Dr. Jen and like a bunch of fucking misses I think Jen actually really really works Gina was saying that on the I keep referring back to this but she was saying that on the podcast too like she was saying that this is the first season in a long time where it just makes sense and it feels like a bunch of friends living their life and you're watching it as opposed to like them putting cast members in that don't make sense like what is her name Noella Noella yes yeah yeah like that she's like that just didn't make sense like it didn't make sense in our friend group it seemed like she was put there to see what happens or to cause drama or whatever, this actually makes sense as a group of girls. And so I think Jen is there to stay. I hope. I do really like her, but she's in a tough spot right now, and I don't know how she's going to get out of it. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorenda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. 
The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Row, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to Roe.co slash Girls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash Girls. Sign up today. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. (laughs) Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time (laughs) with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. 
For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDYSGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDYSGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. So first off, I really need to listen to that interview. I watch Nick's um, episodes on YouTube because I just, I die for video as someone who refuses yeah. to use it for Andy's yeah. girls. I love to watch other people's. <laughs> I'm like, Bethany, drop that full fucking video of you and Jill. Please, God, someone finish editing. Um, but, you know, Gina's a very polarizing housewife. Somewhat sort of surprisingly to me, I think she's actually she? one of, the, yeah, she's very, very, very polarizing for people. People either feel a, a sort of an upset that she was cast in the first place as a little bit of an outsider to the OC universe. That was obviously the intention by casting. She, you know, her persona, very, very consistent with New York. She talks about it a, a lot and about not being from this area or necessarily feeling like a part of this area, at least at first. But people really have a lot of upset about, I think, both her behavior on Housewives and sometimes doing things that feel too escalated and not grounded enough, or just not being enough of that Housewives persona. The casita of it all is, like, frustrating for people on a show that was and still is franchise-specific about escapism. Do you have any feeling about Gina about either her trajectory on the show or whether she belongs on this show has her time come and gone I didn't know that she was a polarizing character to me she's like one of my favorite is she yeah I would actually want to be friends with her I think that she's very intelligent she gets her point across well I love that she's down to earth I love that she shows her messy family. As someone who is a mom with like a messy house that smells bad most of the time and kids <laughs> that like I can't get out of their pajamas and stuff like that, I like seeing that in a housewife. To me, that's relatable. Like, listen, they're still on Housewives, which is, you know, escapism and like reality television but I can relate to it it's something that I could maybe that's why I liked Jersey Shore too I could relate to the messiness and not perfection I don't know maybe that's just me but that's something that I really like about her and I also really value her friendship with Emily I think that they're great friends and they are very loyal to one another and that's something that I like in her as well so I didn't know that she was polarizing to me that she just seems like a like someone I want to be friends with. That's so, you know what? Evan Real recently, I don't know if you know Evan, he's a um a senior TV reporter at Page 6 and honestly fabulous and he came on AG relatively recently and talked about how obsessed he is with Gina and like I think Gina was in his top 5 and I was sort of shaken by that cuz I had never met someone who not you know enjoy Gina but like liked her so much that she was in his top five. I found that fascinating. I loved it because it was like genuinely a surprise to me. But she does seem to be someone who raises a lot of strong reactions, which is interesting when you think of her performance on Housewives, which love her or not, 
I don't know that it's been consistently strong. You know, I think she's improved a lot. Obviously, she's found some stability in her personal life. That, of course, can reinforce and inspire a different kind of viewpoint on how to stay on this fucking show. But it's, you know, people really do either feel like she's going too far or she's just not a good fit or maybe the relatability of someone who is in the casita with 15 kids is not what people want to relate to. They want to see the escapism is the thing that connects them with the housewives brand. And then the connectivity and the relatability is like a fun little surprise. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's just not me. I want to see someone that I relate to and I want to be friends with. But on the other hand, when you ask me my top five, it's not Gina and not because she's like she is my favorite in terms of me personally wanting to hang out with her and loving her as a human being. My top five are like the messiest, the messiest of the housewives, like the craziest, messiest of that because it's more entertaining to me. Like in my top five, it'll be Tamara over Gina, but I don't necessarily want to be friends with Tamara. See, this is why I love asking people for their top five, because as you just said, like the way that you define top five is important. That is your process and everyone's top. It's like not to say, quote unquote, safe space, but like you have the right to define how you want your top five to look like however the fuck you want. It's your top five. So it could be like one person could be saying, I want the top five based on the performance that I want to see on Housewives. Another person could say, my top five is the people I want to grab a beer, aka glass of champs with. Another person's top five is like, here are the people who just make me feel a certain way, including about the ways that I don't want to be in my personal life. So noting that your top five includes some like characters who might be defined as slightly extra, who is in your top five Sounds like Tamara is one of them. Do you have four others who come to mind? Ramona, I think, is so problematic and so entertaining to watch. I would say, actually, a lot. I thought New York, to me, before the reboot, um, some of those cast members were so unbelievable to me as, like, real people. And I enjoyed watching them between, like, the Sonias and Ramonas that I didn't think I would like the reboot. And I am so pleasantly surprised Mm. by the reboot. Like, I feel like I'm watching like a real sex in the city. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Minus the sex, but and the city. Yeah. (laughs) Housewives in the city is what it is. I mean, 100%. 100%. Totally agree. But top five, I think Ramonia, Ramonia, Ramona, (laughs) Sonia, Ramonia. Literally, literally, literally. Um, I love Portia. I think she's so messy. Oh my God. I love her so much. I love her so much. I love Vicky. Wow. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> and God. And she's coming back. I, mean, I know. I know. I was just watching a TikTok about someone who said unpopular opinion that there were so many other scandals that were in the Bravo universe that were so much bigger than Scandival and didn't get the same kind of attention. And they brought up like the Brooks faking cancer. There's something to be said for that whole, that whole era of like Tamara and Vicky where that was just horrible and television gold. Yeah, we never really, and this is one of those things of like, I never got the answer from Vicky that I was really looking for. I got it from other people sitting next to her on the reunion couch of like, 
why did you lie to Heather and Terry? Why did you tell them specific things about him being sick late that night and needing medical treatment if he in fact did not? Noting that she said he seemed very sick and whatever else, like just a, just a little bit of a little bit more of a step into the like, I knew something was up, but I refused to acknowledge it. I felt like I couldn't would be right. great. Maybe she's done that in the years since. Honestly, it's like we have so much that comes to us. And a lot of the times it's like sources say that we don't really know. Um, but I think that was the piece that I wish maybe we could have gotten, but but maybe not knowing how Vicky is. She wouldn't let go of him for years after until he got married, essentially. Right. And I think it's that problematic behavior that I would never want in a friendship or maybe even acquaintance, but I love seeing on reality television. And like, that's why she would be in my top five. I don't know. And you know what? This brings up something because there was a a moment on um, the last episode that got a, a, a certain amount of ire, which was a guest flippantly saying in conversation about the New York reboot, I don't care if a housewife is racist, which to me was intended to be so flippant and sort of unserious. And I do need to add a little bit of a PS to that because I'm trying to, um, you know, ensure that conversations on AG include opinions outside of my own. You know, I've been hosting this podcast for 1800 years, well over 400 episodes. I think people have a pretty good idea of who I am and how I feel, noting that those opinions can change over time. Um, and, and certainly the way that I talk about housewives can change over time as well. But it was like specifically pinpointing racism racism which is not the way I would have thought about it <laughs> and not the way that I feel and something that is an entirely someone's at the door it's probably Ramona so, not the <laughs> way that I would feel and and certainly not the example that I would give and one that obviously brings with it so much privilege to even be able to say that I mean a, a level of flippancy and of course, privilege. But I think that's certainly not how a lot of people feel when they think of the Ramona of it all. Like Black Shabbat isn't necessarily the thing that people think about. Some might and they have every right to. But other people might think, listen, Ramona is complicated. Rem I might feel like Ramona is a piece of shit conversation around race and racism is incredibly difficult to have, especially for two of us as white women, both Hebrews, by the way, shalom. But it's a, a conversation that I don't think would necessarily be appropriate. But that's also not the defining angle for people when they talk about wanting New York to come back in the OG version in some iteration. That The thing that a lot of people focus on, because there are a lot of people who want Ramona to be back, as there are a lot of people who want XY housewife, who might be problematic for other reasons. The interesting thing with Ramona is that she's such a piece of shit in so many different layers that that's not necessarily the thing that people think about when Ramona comes to mind. They might think about the way that she treats everyone, which is like, sort of a joke that like and I want to clarify right yes 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 and clarify clarify 
That is not what I was referring to. So <laughs> when I say problematic, I mean like like sh- shitty stuff they do to their friendships. When I'm talking about like Tamara right now, shitty to Jen, I'm not saying an overall shittiness that affects like people watching and affects certain groups of people like racism is not what came to mind when I thought of Ramona's problematic behavior although I do think that is part of it that that's part of Ramona but that's, that's not even is. what ent- that's who she is that's not even what entered my mind when I said I love watching her problematic behavior it was like turtle time the problematic behavior <laughs> Which is exactly how I heard it when you said it. But also because there is a conversation that's happening, people think of the idea of being problematic differently. And the thing with Ramona is she's such a specific case, but we digest whether or not someone is problematic differently. We also sometimes think to ourselves what comes to mind is based on our own identity and experience like the way that one viewer might think of Ramona and Black Shabbat comes to mind first and foremost which as a sidebar was I thought the worst episode genuinely one of the worst most terribly produced and edited edited episodes of Housewives to ever exist which is not just on Ramona it's on the editors for doing a to be continued around her saying racist and anti-Semitic remarks. Like I watched that and I was so fucking upset because of what Ramona was saying, but really because of the way that the show was framing it, which was like, this is our new version of entertainment, which was one of the reasons that New York was put on pause because I think the show itself lost its footing. To me, that's not even about the cast. It's like, what has this universe become? It's like drunken, yeah. darkness in which we can't really find any light. What I'm attempting to get at incredibly sloppily is the idea that people look at things as problematic differently and provide space for saying the reason that sometimes people watch these housewives right. and like certain housewives is maybe because they act like a piece of shit. I'm not judging a viewer for saying I might like Vicky Gumbelson when I'm like, oh my God, and now I'm thinking about Brooks or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, Vicky, you're a mess. You're a mess. <laughs> I'm not judging that person for thinking that, noting that viewers who might support or love Vicky represent entirely different communities in and of themselves. Someone might like her because she is a boss lady who runs her own company. She defined it before Bethany did. Bethany gets all the fucking credit because she was able to monetize it most successfully. But Vicky fucking came into Housewives and said, this is my third bedroom. And, you know, my friend works here who you're going to see on this show. And I am just selling like a motherfucker because I have people to support. Like she was the first to do it. She was the alpha boss on housewives so so yeah people like like them for different reasons I guess now I'm kind of backpedaling because now I'm thinking about what people might think I said or what I was intending to say let me tell you that no having this conversation is complicated and uncomfortable because the very nature sometimes of talking about housewives can become complicated and uncomfortable. And I think there needs to be space for the fact that in the ways that I am struggling to sort of communicate my feelings, that's because it's uncomplicated and comfortable and because I'm a human person who sometimes is like, okay, this dis- this discomfort deserves to right to exist, but also I should acknowledge the privilege in feeling certain ways, the ways that I can be flippant 
judgment about certain things, not necessarily saying them on the podcast, is determined by my own privilege and also my own sensitivities. I might be sensitive because I'm either a member of that community or it's triggering to me or whatever else. We never, we don't really know the reasons that a person feels a certain way. And I think there's space for people to feel a lot of different ways as long as we're able to hopefully talk about it. Yeah. When we talk about what is problematic, it's entirely dependent on how you're thinking of that housewife. Like in thinking about Ramona being problematic, I'm thinking my number one thing in my head, the first thing that comes to mind is the way that she referred to the help, but also the LOL of her. Like, I don't even know how this, she was able to communicate this, but like in season 13, she was immediately able to respond very quickly, like hospitality assistance. I was like, how did she even think of that? mind this woman who like doesn't know how to pronounce reggae it's like immediately I still want I that's an investigation that needs to be done because I don't I don't understand how she was able to make that shift (laughs) and some people might not feel that Ramon is a piece of shit they have the right to feel that too like it's so much of it is determined by our experience in watching these shows that it's like nice to have a little clarity which I didn't give on the last episode because I honestly made the assumption that people understood who I am and my thoughts and feels. That you didn't agree with that statement at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad my top five can lead to this explanation and clarification for you. (laughs) Thank you so much. for This is a pretty, you didn't know you were producing in that moment, but I was like, oh, sweetie, this is where we're going. And we're going to cook with gas. We're going to use it. Um, a tub. There are many ways that housewives can be an escape. And one of those escapes sometimes is like confronting your opinion of another person's humanity or lack thereof. Like that to me is an interesting conversation, which doesn't have anything to do with my politics, but does have to do with the politics of figuring out which person I'm going to associate with being humane, like that or, or entertaining or whatever it is, because Many of us feel very differently on all ends of the spectrum and people have the right to feel how they feel and and other people have the right to communicate how that affects them. Like we are now in a very different conversation than I thought we were going to talk about with Orange County, but I'm so thankful to you for like allowing this to happen because while the point of what you were saying, I 1000% agree with like, you know, who's the biggest mess, right? Who creates Mm -hmm. it? who plays in it, it's also interesting to think about the ways that we kind of view that as individual people, what that brings up. It can be very different for any number of people and how that's communicated is probably the most important part. So problematic can be defined in a lot of different ways, depending on who you are, your experiences and your view. So like me saying problematic and Tamara throwing a towel at someone and bringing up someone's relationship or Ramona doing turtle time or talking to Bethany on the bridge and being like totally disrespectful. I I think that was like season two. I forget what that was, but is very different. And it didn't even cross my mind or enter my mind. All the other problematic instances that those housewives that someone else may think of when they think of why that housewife is problematic. 
which I think the majority of people feel, including myself. If you would ask yeah. me while season 13 was in play as a Jewish person, I would have been like, um, I have a lot of <laughs> issues with that fucking right. like three part goddamn Shabbat. <laughs> like that was a goddamn mess. I'm going to talk about that. And if you ask me now or a year and a half later, it's not that that didn't happen. You can listen to episodes where I focused on it. But it just so happens that, like, when it comes to Ramona being a piece of shit, the thing that's going to come to mind is her talking about the help and, like, her attempting to pass off yelling at people over hangers to be, like, adorable. Like, that that's the thing where I'm going to be, like, if I had to be dragged on an Ultimate Girls Trip with Ramona Singer, there needs to be an extra zero on that check because – I would, even if it was for, you know, we know it's being edited, edited for entertainment, it would piss me the fuck off. So it's like there are ways to acknowledge and understand how we like or enjoy or appreciate certain housewives, how we appreciate or acknowledge the ways that we might disagree with their behavior, which is just at a certain point, you know, who's she yelling at? Why is she fighting? Why is she stealing Bethany's dresses off her talk show? Like, there are ways that we can look at Ramona, but the conversation of, like, I don't care if this person did that is very specific. That's very different. It's very different. So I wanted to attempt to... Clarify. Clarify it a little bit. I wasn't really intending to discuss it at all. But (laughs) the ways that you were talking about your top five was really interesting to me because it gets into the definition of how we enjoy and appreciate the show. And a big part of enjoying and appreciating the show is watching women behave badly. That's what reality television is. You can't tell me that you enjoy reality television for the like sainthood. Right, right. So, I mean, we watched, like I said, Jersey Shore. That was like crazy, problematic, messy behavior. We watched the Osbournes even throwing meat into their neighbor's yard when they first came on, and they were a mess, right? Like, we watched these shows. Oh my God. (laughs) We watched these shows, and now Bravo, the Bravo universe, and the casting is great, and they know that they're going to cast people that are going to stir up some shit and some drama. And that's what we're watching and enjoying. But there is a line, and you're absolutely right. And I want to make this clear too. There is a line between messy and drama and just outright not acceptable behavior and qualities in a person. And the difficulty is if the network doesn't know how to define it by the way they edited Black Shabbat, how are viewers, let alone other people in the Bravo universe, supposed to be able to? Like, at a certain point, we're all just, like, figuring this out. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, Tamra, Mm -hmm. do I, just shifting away from this entirely, the idea of, like, which housewives do I like? It's like, I really appreciate Tamra. Do I think she's a good friend on the show? Definitely not. Do I think she's a good friend to me because of the shit she does on the show? Kinda. Like, she is doing the job that needs to be done. And yet, a lot of people on social are very, very upset. She's so terrible. You know, maybe she's too produced or she produces herself too much, which I acknowledge. Yeah. But also, someone has to do this. Like, criticizing Emily for asking these questions and making people get tense is a part of doing the job. A part of the doing the job as a Bravo viewer might be judging her for that, which I get. But also, like, 
she's doing some shit. Like the Emily that we met the first season is not the Emily who I've gotten to know. You right. know, like she really, I think Emily in a way that I find incredibly surprising is absolutely in my top 10. Really? I think so too. But that's weird to me that you would say Emily and not Gina. Gina's not giving it to me. You know what the thing is? At the end of the episode, when Gina was talking to Heather, um, the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, girl. But then the second time I watched it, I was like, all right, okay, girl. Like, (laughs) okay. I, I understood more where she was coming from and I appreciated her for as explicitly as a person can be saying to Heather, I know that you like me more as a friend than Tamara, but Tamara is the one that you're protecting on camera because she either has more value or she's scarier to offend. And the way that Gina communicated it was maybe a lot, but also isn't that what we're looking for at a certain point? I just don't think Gina, which she doesn't need to, it's like apples to apples, but also they come in as a duo. So it's, I'm trying to separate them at a certain point. I just think Emily is like funnier the way that she communicates. I really enjoy the way that her lawyerly instincts come out. I really enjoy. And I say that as someone noting that, frankly, both of them do this separately and together. But like they both shit on Shan, who's my number one gal. So like the fact that I can fully love and appreciate Shannon Bador and also really admire and enjoy Emily on this show Considering the fact that like Emily and Shan haven't always been able to figure it out is a really great indicator to me of Emily's value on this. I think Emily is like very likable. She is very likable. And I agree with you. I'm just surprised that you're able to separate the two when I find them to be very similar in terms of likability. No, no, you're like, no, I really don't. It's like, I don't, I don't feel the animus toward Gina that some people do, but I understand it. Like, okay, that's the thing is like, I might not feel the way people do about their top five, but I, I could understand it. Like, and also the people who might be a trigger. Like, I think Gina is a trigger for the way that Danielle's job is mine. Like, I think not to compare her to Danielle, apologies to Gina, but also apologies to Danielle. <laughs> she finds that on this episode. I, um, I, I just think there's something about her. And I think it maybe starts with the escapist part of it that is, that can be seen as grating to people. That can maybe. be, it can feel a little jarring maybe for Gina to be next to, you know, Heather Dubrow. Yeah. And I, oh, and I've also noticed, speaking of the producers not being able to edit certain things in the right way, I've noticed, especially on this season, that the producers now are editing in people's opinions on Fancy Pants, Heather Dubrow, being completely out of touch. So I appreciate that too, hearing her being out of touch with reality and how she comes off and seeing that the other cast members are acknowledging it also makes me appreciate that you don't okay no no I don't disagree but this is like where (laughs) me watching the episode a a second time was helpful or either Mm -hmm. helpful or maybe not because like yes we can all acknowledge that I don't even remember how to pronounce it Porta Kasher Porta remember her like the thing outside her house and like how to what temperature to have wine and everything else when she's just like sharing but can it can come off as incredibly um uh, I don't know. Pretentious? Um, tone deaf, maybe. Yeah, pretentious. <laughs> um, 
like totally acknowledging that and surely that can be a part of conversation too but between the women but like I don't know was she super yeah like in saying like wow people do manual labor I had no idea I don't know if that was a comms issue or a character issue I thought it was kind of more comms like maybe it's just that she is fancy pants like I I've known that for a while but like some of these examples I don't totally agree with like the Taylor thing I don't think she owed Taylor an apology I think Taylor miscommunicated and then ran with it. I don't think she owed Taylor an apology. I think Taylor was in the wrong for asking her to come over. She did come over and then shit talking her. Like, I think that was wrong and that Heather is absolutely right that there's a way to go about it. If you want me to be in a movie, you tell them to call my agent and they write up a contract. I can't just like go. I just don't go and show up. So I do get what Heather was saying. That wasn't it. It was more of like, just being out of I thought she was out of touch when referencing like that she just now discovers or realizes that people do manual labor I don't know that to me was out of touch and that probably wasn't what she was trying to go for but Mm -hmm. the way it came off was not great and I appreciated the producers putting in the other girls acknowledging that But how much of that acknowledgement is an excuse to shit on Heather? I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying, but like, is there what what's the strategy behind Emily and Gina and whomever else being like, wow, Heather's so wildly out of touch? It might be because they feel that. But like, don't you think there's also some like self produce which I mean, LOL, what a shock, like that there's some strategy involved or maybe maybe that's just inevitable. Why is that surprising? I think it's very much like don't tie me in with what she's saying I disagree Mm. or like like to save face or whatever if she says something and no one else speaks up then it kind of ties all of them in with that comment or that mess so maybe that's why they went on to do their private interviews and decided to bring that up I don't know and I don't know how it was produced I don't know if the producers then asked them about that comment so then they felt the need to respond not sure but I do think it was about them saving. They didn't say it to her face. So it was a, I think it was more about them saving face and making sure the public knew that they realized how out of touch that comment was. And also like Gina then moves on to the, you know, speaking of out of touch, I feel like we need to touch base about my friendship with you because you said, well, she said this in previous confessionals, but essentially like Heather you know, questioned the level of friendship between them. So Gina was like, okay, the Tamara stuff is the chance for me to prove that we're really, we're really good friends because I'm going to go to bat for you. And then Heather was like, I would rather not play ball. Like that was very inside baseball kind of conflict. And I don't know really how I feel about it because to be honest, like I don't think that Gina's wrong, but like Tamara's tough Tamara can be fucking scary a little bit when she turns on you like BCC Jen like I understood Heather's position in this of not necessarily wanting to fully call out what was going on and sort of neither did Gina she needs to make sure that the script fits within the universe not literal script but like the language that we're talking about that we don't break totally break the fourth wall but like 
that was an interesting moment. I thought it was a really interesting moment of tension because the thing that they can't truly communicate is why Heather doesn't want Tamara to be pissed off. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. Maybe because they both have podcasts and Tamara's podcast is more successful. <laughs> I wonder. Okay, so are you a frequent two teas in the pod listener? No, I'm not. I should Same. be. I should I, be. I, mean, like, I don't know that I should be. I don't know that I should be. But like, I love Tamara as a, I love the idea of Tamara having a podcast. I really do. Cause I think it's very smart and it also humanizes her in a way that she doesn't do a great job of doing for herself. Cause that's not her first priority, understandably so. But you know, the Tamara of it all, when it comes to like Tamara and Heather, I had a lot of confusion and kind of frustration when the season first started. And I was like, why are we focusing on Shannon and Tamara when the actual greater conflict, aside from them really genuinely having stuff and having stakes, longstanding friendship, Trace Amigos, whatever else, is like Tamara, Heather doesn't want to fuck with Tamara. And but also Heather didn't want Tamara on the show. It's like, I feel like we're sort of inching our way there now. And maybe I should have been a little bit more patient because we're getting into the Tamra Heather stuff. And I honestly, you know, die for Tamra on the show. So glad she's back. Love this season. But I feel for Heather with this because she did have the chance to be defended by Gina. She chose not to take it. That's on her. But also now everybody's mad at her. And I don't think this is going to end well. No, I don't think so either. And I think any beef that you have with Tamara is not going to end well. Tamara usually, she fights. Like you said, she fights hard. And so it's not an easy fight to have for anyone else that's involved in it. I think Tamara coming back makes it so there's two top dogs. I think Heather thought she was a top dog and Tamara coming back like, now you got a bulldog in the ring that's going to rip you to shreds. 100% a great point because the the production also treated Heather like a top top dog like we never got like the Nobu the fact that they're dining at Nobu is like a wink and a nod to the fact that from the Nobu dinner from last season but also we never really got the truth of what happened that night like we never really because there was a producer who used to work on the show who was talking to members of the cast about what happened that night and Noella was one of the people that spoke up but that's something that Tamara discussed on a prior episode of Jeff Lewis Live. She tried to skirt around this. This was a while ago. But like she was told by a producer that some shit went down. So it's like we never really got into that. I think because Heather has slash had enormous sway. And like what happens to that sway when Tamara's back? Yeah, I mean, even look at her, Heather's return. When she returned, all the ads were like, look who's back. And it was like really focused on Heather, really, really focused on Heather coming back. So I think Tamara now takes some, if not all, of that spotlight being back. Yeah, and Heather's entrance, her introduction with that, like her and like the light and you see the, you know, and it goes yeah. straight into the drama was like giving her the days of our lives, like soap opera style. This is who I am and I'm back and I'm the star. And they sort of at a certain point, it's like, how how do you get her back by sort of promising certain ways that you're going to deliver from the aspect of production in the network? But then Tamara comes back and it's like no longer days of our lives. It's Jurassic Park. Like, yeah, yeah. hide under a car. <laughs> like, don't look for eggs. 
hide under like yeah. literally just run for your fucking life because yes. who knows what's going to happen as a result the movie doesn't go well for most of the people in that park like yeah spoiler alert and maybe we're now calling Nobu Jurassic Park which I'm extremely into listen I've taken up so much of your time we didn't even talk about New York we didn't talk about Rachel's dog and Graham we didn't talk about any of that (laughs) because you're coming back immediately okay And we're going to have a conversation about the New York reboot. I would love, not that I can like literally assign you homework, but I think as a Bravo-holic and Mm -hmm. someone who has such an interesting, fabulous way of talking about Housewives, I love, love, love these deep dives. I genuinely think you really will enjoy the Bethany Jill of it all. Like, not, you don't have to listen to both episodes. Okay. The one that I would listen to between the two is, like, the first reunion, and then they talk New York. But I would love for you to come back literally ASAP, literally ASAP. We'll talk about New York, but I really would be curious for your thoughts on that reunion because, to me, it inspired a response where I felt a lot of conversation discussed on Patreon, but also something else that I don't think Bethany is realizing when it comes to like what does this mean for the viewer in light of the New York premiere noting that this was literally put out to you know get as much traction I mean she's a businesswoman we all know it yeah um from New York I really would be curious for your thoughts once you listen if you listen no 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 big deal if you don't it's great homework I will listen today ASAP And like, you know, Nick Vile has these goddamn video episodes that are so, I love when people put up video. I will never do it, guys. I will never do it. He was just on our, he was just on our podcast on Tuesday. Oh my God. How did it go? It's not out yet, but it went really well. We talked a lot about him and his experience on the Bachelor franchise and his fiance and drama that he got into with like the... Uh, Love is Blind. New Bachelorette. Oh, oh, Love, Love is Blind, Blind cast. Yes. Uh, so it's really good. <laughs> and he had hot takes on like behind the scenes of what reality television is actually like. I don't know when it's coming out though, because we recorded three episodes last week. We only released one a week. So we recorded three episodes last week. We're recording two this week. So they're kind of like spread out. So I don't know when it's coming out, but listen, when it does come out. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to listen slash watch, but also, so your dad, Howie Mandel, shout out to Howie, was just on Lala's podcast, which I listened Mm -hmm. to. He referenced, and I'm glad he did, that like, listen, your people don't want you to come on the pod, but we'd like to make that happen. Is what, what's the, what's the holdup on that? Why are they being so withholding? Is it production? Yeah, there's nothing set in stone right now. I think Bravo is very strict when it comes to um, their cast members and their shows and what they're able to do or not able to do or say or not say. I don't know. I I think that's what it is. So we'll see when that happens. She says she wants to. She wants to come on our podcast. I would love to have her on. I literally do not go to the office to see any of the stuff my dad is doing. My dad is on other <laughs> yes. podcasts. 
all the time. <laughs> I heard Lala. I heard Lala was on. And I literally had my husband drop me off at the office. Like, we had something else to do. I'm like, no, you drop me off. I am meeting Lala. Like, I need to go see this podcast or listen to it. And I need to meet her. So, yeah. Hopefully, she comes on ours soon. We said, just come on and fix our lighting. Because she had, like, such a yeah. big issue with our lighting <laughs> when we did the Tom Sandoval thing. We don't have to say anything to you. Like, we won't talk to you. We won't even, like, acknowledge you. Just come on and fix our lighting. <laughs> Is that why there wasn't really conversation about the Tom of it all? Like, that didn't really happen on the episode that went up on Lala's pod between Lala and your dad, Howie Mandel, who I can't say one name. It has to be both Howie Mandel. Can I be honest? Yeah, 100%. I didn't listen to that. I was there live. So I watched it live and they talked about Tom Sandoval. I didn't listen to the episode, so I don't know. I didn't listen to the final version. So here's the behind the scenes tea for AGs is typically when a podcaster references there was a delay, there was an edit. What that usually means is not that your editor took a vacation and got to uh, the episode when they returned. It means that there was some sort of communication or back and forth about what was going to be allowed on the podcast. And sometimes that's as easy as a guest being like, listen, there was a moment, yada, yada. And it's, of course, no problem. And sometimes it's a moment of you know, just trying to figure out how to make a conversation flow together. But what I thought was interesting was Lala referenced, thanks for your patience. This was recorded a couple weeks ago. We were working on the edit and I was like little podcaster ears went up of like, oh, I wonder what was potentially taken out. And it's a hour long episode as normal. But the convo with Howie, I think I could be completely wrong. I think it's like about 30 minutes and it doesn't really get into Tom at all. So I wonder if there was a quote unquote Whitney Rose style healing journey that maybe will happen on your pod. I would love if it does, but it might not happen for a minute because I don't know what production is allowing her to release. On our end, we don't edit anything. Like, oh, really? Are you stream of con? That's what Bethany and Jill did. They had moments where Bethany was like, oh, my God, there's a tick on my arm or whatever. And they kept all of it. Yeah. But we always say to our guests that come on, if there's anything you're uncomfortable with or anything someone doesn't want you to say, like we will tell us and we'll edit it out for you. We always say that to our guests. Like it's about you being comfortable. And we're really open and honest about that. So like if our guests said something, decided they didn't want to say it or they don't want it out there, we will edit it out for them. We tell them that they have to be comfortable. When it comes to Lala's podcast, I have no inside scoop. It's her podcast. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I don't know who talks to her. I don't know how involved production is. I don't know any of that. All I know is I listened to it live when she was recording. um, Mm -hmm. And but I didn't listen to the final podcast. So I don't know what was taken out. Without getting too much into the nuts and bolts of the original interview, and you guys can listen to the last episode of AG, obviously watch and listen to the original interview, but also we, you and I talked about the Tom et al quite a bit, which we don't need to get into now because we've covered it previously. But I just have to say that based on the social media waves that were very, very critical against how we following that interview... It would have been, I think, helpful 
to include some of his reactions and responses, which would have more human, uh, which would have done a better job of humanizing why he felt a certain way. And maybe if those feelings have changed as someone who, as he, you know, repeatedly says, doesn't watch Bravo. I wish that that had been included because I would have liked to see that connection between him and Lala. And you can definitely feel affection between them during it, which I loved. They love each other. They had so much fun together. They loved each other. Um, I don't, I think respectfully, I don't think there's anything he could have said that would change people's minds. Really? Um yeah. <laughs> In the Bravo universe. <laughs> I th <laughs> oh no! I oh, think no. in the Bravo universe, <laughs> oh, no. once they decide, and maybe I'm wrong, but like once yeah, they yeah, decide, yeah. you are done. <laughs> You are done. Then you are done. And my dad even said that. He went and looked at like comments on her Instagram when she announced like her podcast with him is coming right. out. Go. My dad left a comment like, I loved meeting you. I loved meeting your brother. People are so mean. Like it's just comments oh. of people that are so freaking mean and upset that she would have my dad on the podcast that he's a horrible human being and all that. So I don't think there's anything that he can say or do at this point to win them back. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> do you think he regrets that? Epi I mean, it did crazy numbers. Everybody was talking about it. Does he doesn't regret it in any way? No, he, I think he is very secure in himself and he knows and he knows yeah. who he is and he knows that he's been married for like, ages and never once cheated he knows that he is totally against cheating he knows that he respects women he knows that he has two daughters and if their husbands would cheat on there he would on them they would he would go nuts like he knows who he is he knows he's a good person and has morals and values so even if he came across a certain way he knows that's not who he is so he doesn't I mean I think he's fine with it I think. And I'm giving a little bit of I'm giving a little bit of face because I 100 percent totally hear you and I'm sure absolutely agree on everything. Maybe the way I could have asked this to you is like, yeah. do you think he regrets not preparing? Because it did not seem like he had an awareness of what actually happened, just judging off his responses, which Tom did a very good job of not correcting him, mm -hmm. which God bless. But like, do you think that he wishes he had, you know, had a little prep session with you prior since you are a scholar of the housewives arts? No, I don't. Because I think that the interview was going to go the way it was going to go regardless. I think that yeah. we let Tom agree. Like I said before, Tom agreed. to Right. Do, we, are, we already litigated this. Right. Um, for whatever reason, maybe because he thought or he knew that this would not be a place where he was challenged and it wasn't. And he was able to come on and just tell his side and then people can make their own judgments and opinions based on whatever it is he said. I don't think it would have gone any differently if my dad was educated. He was going to let him talk no matter what. Maybe my dad wouldn't have been so quick to like, to make it come across like he was not condoning, but making it seem like, I understand where you're coming from if he did a little bit more homework. But I think the interview was going to go the way it went regardless. 
Yeah, and I think had he, I don't think the finale had come out at that point, right? No, it didn't. this is pre. Right. Okay. So had the finale come out? Actually, not even the finale. Honestly, had the call, call me daddy, call her daddy. What is it? Call me daddy. None of that came out. We still had like four more episodes of the season yet. He came on really early. So had that come out where Ariana mm-hmm. explicitly says, like Tom references certain things about my mental health. He is number one lying and he's number two manipulating stuff I've talked about on the show previously to hide behind poor behavior and it's repugnant that that's a huge paraphrase with some artistic liberties from yours truly over here but like had that come out and there been an awareness I think that his perspective would have shifted a little bit but it's like normalize your mind based on new information my guess is he probably has an understanding of maybe the universe or what actually occurred now post interview than he did then but he was going off of the information he had at hand literally based on the story that Tom was feeding him you he, know he takes people at face value yeah that was mistake number one he has people <laughs> sitting if he has a person in front of him saying information he's right. going to yeah, just he's be, gonna like, be like oh, okay that happened yeah right. <laughs> okay I don't know yeah. otherwise so I am going to believe you so and I think anyone would if they didn't know the other side of the story. I mean, I think people took Tom at his words word at the beginning of Vanderpump Rules coming out until they mm-hmm. got to know him and heard who he was, too. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It is what it is. <laughs> like, it's over. It's done. People hate my dad in the Bravo universe. Andy doesn't hate him, which is nice. Andy and him like each other, and they're getting along. So that's really all that matters to me. <laughs> Lala likes him. <laughs> if you had told me at some point in time months prior that there was going to be some sort of shade thrown from Andy Cohen to Howie Mandel, I would have said, literally, what are you talking about? The, the lives that we have, we are like literally cats with 17,000 lives. The ways that the twists and turns of the scandal one could never expect or anticipate, nor the ways, you know, that people come to the point of having constructive criticism or using people as vessels of rage, whatever else. It's a never ending twist and turn. And that's also life. Like that's the ways that we communicate on social, the ways the pe- people's, you know, criticizing of character which is a result of who knows, God knows what is going on in their life. It is an unfortunate reality of being someone who's prominent and existing on social. And it's great to hear that your dad understands the universe and I'm sure is affected by it, but also knows that like this too shall pass, even though I guess some of the comments on Lala's post weren't great. Like that, that will still be a thing that's happening. And hopefully at some point in time, your dad and Lala can maybe have the conversation with you as a part of it, which I think is hugely important, that didn't happen on her podcast for understandable reasons that hopefully will, you know, exist at some point in the future because they obviously have affectionate admiration for each other, but also there's some stuff I would love to hear them discuss. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that can happen in the future. I don't know if or when that will happen. I'm very hopeful. I would love that. I would love the opportunity to just hang out with Lala. So 
I think like she would turn. love you. <laughs> you know, I told you, I was like, you better fucking be on this episode. And when I heard that you were and I was like, God damn it. Because I thought that was, you know, I, I think that your energy is so great and also so grounding. I reached out to Sheena too. And I was like, come on our podcast. Cause I know she's been very open about her mental health and like being diagnosed yes. with OCD and stuff like that. And so I'm like, come on, but I haven't heard back. I think I'm Wait, lost. Did you DM her? I DM'd. I think I'm lost in the DM somewhere. And my dad totally knows who Sheena is now. <laughs> He's like, what's a Sheena? Yeah. Send her people an email. I mean, you might have the same. Actually, that would be a great conversation because even if there are limitations on what you can discuss on the podcast, obviously about the show itself, obviously as you're saying, there's a lot of connection between the two of them and shared experience, albeit very different in how it informs itself in their individual lives that I think would be really important for people to hear. I think yeah. that would actually be an incredible conversation. I hope that that happens. Sheena, if you're listening, you absolutely are not. Someone <laughs> connected on Team Sheena, please make this happen. I would love to listen to it, by which I mean watch it on YouTube. Like, mm -hmm. I would love to see that take place. And again, because you have an understanding of all of this, including your dad, with you as a central figure in that, I think that would be really great. I think that would be incredibly interesting to watch. And I would love to see you lead it, honestly. I think you would do a great job. Ah, oh, thanks. Well, fingers crossed it happens. <laughs> to be continued. Listen, yes. we didn't talk about New York because um, you're coming back ASAP to deep dive it. In the meantime, where can people follow you on social? Where can people watch slash... <laughs> Get words are hard. Watch slash listen to Howie Mandel does stuff. All of that and more. Mention it all. Um, you can follow me at Jacqueline Schultz on every social media platform. You can also listen to Howie Mandel does stuff or watch it on YouTube um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watch it on you. I think it's better to watch. So come watch it. That's what I think. I think so too. It's more enjoyable. And then maybe I'll come to New York soon and we can meet up at Catch and hang out. <laughs> okay, wait. You and I, you need to come back ASAP because I have so many thoughts about their decision to bleep it. Like, was it for entertainment? Was it supposed to be LOL? Or are they genuinely afraid of pissing off Catch? Like I knew it was Catch immediately yes, because that was same. like one of my Favorite places to go when I visited New York. It probably still would be. Like, I don't get it. I love Catch. Because it's, it's, it's sassy. It's a little yeah. sassafras. But also, if you're a cool girl, sassafras might not be the way to go. Like, it's just everybody gets whatever part of New York they want. There are so many different ways to experience New York that that's absolutely we got to go. Um, also, are you going to BravoCon? We literally need to wrap this episode. But let's no, talk for another No, I'm hour. not. You're not going to go? Okay. No. Um, I want oh to. I asked God. my dad. I, I was like, Dad, we should go to BravoCon. He's like, I wasn't invited. I'm like, you don't need to be invited. Let's just go. Let's just go hang out. Can you imagine if your dad just started walking through the crowds? He would not be able to get out because everybody would want a selfie. They Every would be throwing stuff at him. They no, would be they throwing wouldn't. <laughs> No, I have more faith in Bravo Hall. I think, honestly, can you, and also, P.S., I could talk about Bravo Con forever. Mm -hmm. How's that Vanderpump Rules panel going to work? Is, is Sandoval going to Skype in? Like, how on earth are they going to figure out? Because that's going to be, yeah, Lord he'll be help there. us. He'll be there. You think? I think so. I mean, they're all doing a job. Like, Sheena and Ariana and all of them said this weekend, they're all doing a job. Hey, bud. My son just ran into the room, so I think I got to go.
Listen, you've been so generous with your time. I'm so thankful to you for being with me on this 18-hour journey. Guys, speaking of journeys, listen to the new episode out now. Talking about all things Bethany, Jill, Vanderpump Rules, and so much more at patreon.com slash Girls. Follow me on social at Dame Galley, um, unless I blocked you for Ollie for a pretty good reason. And on that note, we will chat with you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.